Father, we praise you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for this day that you've given us, Father. And what a wonderful privilege it is to sing and praise you, to lift our hearts to you, God. We ask that you would bless now your word as we look at it. God, that you would be our teacher, that you would be our guide into truth that will change us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. It's kind of hard to follow that. I started to say it's kind of hard to recover from that. Both are true. What a great, uh, great time of praise. I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1. The New Testament book of Acts chapter 1. You know, final words, last words are kind of important, aren't they? They really are. I mean, if you get the privilege of kind of saying final words before you go on, (laughs) before you pass on or pass away, uh, that's a privilege, isn't it? To get to say something that you wanted to say. And in fact, when you say those words, those are kind of important words, aren't they? I mean, they clarify purpose. You want to say something that people who are listening will, will really take and apply and Hopefully they will see in you that there's a focus, there's a priority to these last words. I read uh, not too long ago that there was a uh, headstone at a cemetery in Georgia. And the final words of the guy uh, were inscribed on the headstone. And the final words were this, I told them I was sick. We're going to look at a passage here of Jesus' final earthly words to his disciples. And it's recorded in Acts chapter 1. And we're going to see by these words uh, the absolute priority and purpose that Jesus has for us corporately as the church and the words uh, that he has for us even individually. So let's look. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1, the author of this uh, book is Luke, the physician. So we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke has now written this book also, which is an account of the spreading of the gospel, the spreading of Christianity in this first century. So Luke is now describing kind of his purpose here in the beginning of these verses. Look at what he says. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, now we don't know who Theophilus is. Luke actually refers to him also in the beginning verses of the gospel of Luke. So he is, he is writing these things for the purpose of helping instruct this person named Theophilus, it was likely that Theophilus was the person who commissioned Luke, who was probably wealthy. He was a believer. He was a follower of Christ. He was probably a wealthy person. And he actually commissioned Luke to go and investigate and to record these events, to take this amount of time. In fact, that's what Luke says. I set myself to this purpose of writing down the things that Jesus did. And so now, just as he did that in the Gospel of Luke with Jesus in his earthly ministry... He is now writing down the things that took place in the Acts of the Apostles after the resurrection of Christ. So, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven. So, essentially, the book of Acts is kind of a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. He is continuing the story of what happened. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the Apostles... That he had chosen. Now, what Luke is doing here is he is stating in advance an event that he's about to describe. 
He's saying that Jesus suffered, that Jesus died, and after his suffering, after his death, he was resurrected, and he began to speak things to his followers. Luke is about to describe some of the things that Jesus spoke to his followers. In fact, describe his last words here on earth. Verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Luke is describing how the resurrection of Christ was a very public event. That This was not kind of tucked away in the shadows of history, that Jesus himself was resurrected publicly, and not only was he resurrected publicly and quickly and then went away, ascended into heaven, but that Jesus, after his resurrection, gave many convincing proofs that indeed he was alive, and he outlines some of them for us. He appeared, first of all, to them, and not just kind of a flash. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. He appeared for a duration of time, not just a quick time, a duration of time. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Here, the resurrected Christ is now speaking to the disciples. Verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, and he goes on to describe the command. So Jesus appeared. He appeared for a duration of time. He spoke to them, and he ate with them. This is the resurrected Christ. So the resurrection of Christ was not just a spirit resurrection of Jesus. It was a bodily resurrection of Christ. It was a physical resurrection. And so Jesus, after his resurrection, appears... To as many, Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians 15, to as many as up to 500 people. Again, a very public demonstration that he was indeed alive. Let's continue on. Verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Okay, so Jesus tells the disciples, listen, I don't want you to go anywhere. <laughs> I want you to wait in Jerusalem. I want you to assemble in Jerusalem, and I want you to stay there, for I'm about to give you something. Verse 5, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There will be a unique manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who are waiting for this in Jerusalem. Verse 6, So, when they met together that is the disciples with Jesus, they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, as we know from this time period, that the nation of Israel was really subject to the nation of Rome, to the Roman kingdom. And so the disciples were asking, okay, now that you're alive, now that you're resurrected, are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel, the power and the prominence of Israel once again? Look at this. He doesn't really go into the details of that whole question. Look at verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Those two words, times and dates. We've talked about those before here at the church. Two Greek words. The first one, times, is the Greek word chronos, chronologically, chronological. We get that word, uh, English word, from the word chronos. It means the minute. It means the linear time, the day, the time. The other word is the word kairos, which means period of time. It means the right time, 
It can mean date, as translated here, or a period. So what he's saying is, listen, it is not for you to know neither the specific time nor the general period of time by which I will come back to restore the kingdom of Israel. But, he said, verse 8. Now, whenever you see the word but, it's very important. It's a contrasting word. So you look at what was before that word and what is after that word. In essence, he's saying, instead of worrying about the dates of time of my return, the business at hand, the present business at hand, is more important. Rather, he is saying, instead, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying this. Quit worrying about the times of dates, times and dates for me to return. Following me is not about knowing that. It's about being ready for it. And so he encourages them to be ready and he describes this event that's going to take place. The Holy Spirit is going to come and there will be power in that moment when the Holy Spirit comes. Those two things go together. And you will be my witnesses. Twenty-nine times the word witness or witnesses is used as nouns and verbs in the book of Acts. It's a very, very important word. If you think about a court, how many of you watch Law and Order every once in a while? You watch these legal shows on TV. You know, the whole scenario of a court. Some of you have served on juries, that kind of thing. He is saying, you will be my witnesses. Very important. Not, you will be my attorneys. It is not your job to be a defense attorney or a prosecuting attorney who is out to prove something. That's what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to prove guilt or innocence, depending upon which side you're on. That's not your role. Your role is not to be judge to cast judgment upon the world. Instead, you will be my witnesses. You will bear witness of what has taken place, of what you've seen in your own life. You are to bear witness of the story of events, of God's work in your life. That's the whole point. You will be my witnesses. And he says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now, this is all very important. This is where we're going to kind of camp out for the remaining moments. Being witnesses to the backyard and beyond. The backyard and beyond. There is a geographical application of this, certainly. Geographical application for us here in northwest Houston. And it's, it has to do with really the expansion of the gospel. Certainly this was what was true for Jesus in his time frame. There was, a, there was an expansion that was taking place. There was a sequence that was taking place. We have this map up here. You see the map. You'll see Jerusalem, the big blue dot right there in the middle in Israel. So he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then the next level is what? Judea. And the next geographical level is Samaria. And ultimately, even to the ends of the earth. Which at that time was really kind of considered the end of the Roman Empire. It would be Rome. Rome is 1,400 miles to the west, across the sea. Even to the ends of the earth. So yes, there's a kind of a geographical expansion that's taking place. And uniquely enough, the book of Acts records that expansion taking place just as Jesus described it. 
In chapters 1 through 9 of the book of Acts, it talks about the gospel, first of all, taking place in Jerusalem, going throughout the region of Judea and into Samaria, and then ultimately with the apostle Paul, as Paul begins to travel these long distances, he ultimately ends up in Rome to give witness of Christ's resurrection. So that's the power of this geographical aspect and the expansion that takes place. And I think you guys understand what we're talking about here. Because not only is there this geographical thing going on, but it also represents spheres of influence. Spheres of influence. So we say, okay, well, we're not in Jerusalem. We're not in Judea. We're not in Samaria. We're not, you know, over there. So what does that mean for you and for me? Well, I think it represents some things. I think it represents for you and me spheres of influence. I think Jerusalem really is our backyard. If we're to apply this passage, we have to say, okay, where is our Jerusalem? Jerusalem represents those who are closest to us, family and friends, that that immediate level of influence and relationship that you and me have. Beyond that, we have Judea, which is those surrounding us, those surrounding us, neighbors, co-workers, people that we have interaction with every day. Beyond that, Samaria. Now, this is really interesting in this passage. Because you know anything about Jewish history, you know that the Samaritans were despised. And here Jesus is including in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he's saying, I want you to go to Samaria and share the gospel with those people too. Even though you don't like them, in fact, they were really despised by Jewish people, but Jesus said the gospel is open for everyone. And in application for you and me, Samaria would be those unlike us. Those who may have a different lifestyle. Those that we might disagree with. Those that might have different needs. Those who might be involved in things that we don't like. Those that we have a tendency to separate from. Those who even on the surface level we might dislike. Jesus says, go to them. And then finally, the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. Those far away. Those far away. Unreached people groups. The precedent here is that we are to go. The orientation is that we are to go. And that we are to go in our own backyard and beyond. So, he shares this mission, this clear mandate. And then let's read on in in verse 9. It says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is a miracle. Jesus' ascension into heaven again, his last time on earth. Verse 10, they were looking intently upon it, uh, upon into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky, the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Obviously a description of the second return of Christ of which we as Christians await, in which we as Christians long for and look toward, of which we have no idea when, what time. Nonetheless, the truth of Christ coming again to establish his kingdom on the earth. So how do we apply this? 
What does this mean for you and me today? Let me just give you three applications here as we finish up. First of all, each of us should know our own story of events. We should know our own story of events. The truth is, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer, each of us have a story. Every one of us do. God is the author of that story, and that story is still being written. We have a story of faith to share with those in our world, both in our backyard and beyond. That story of faith involves a past that we had before coming to faith in Christ. There was a time when I was, as I like to say, lost as a ball in high weeds. I did not know Jesus. I had no idea who God was. But there came a point in time where someone shared with me their story of faith, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. So there's a past, there's a present also. God is currently working in my life. He is currently doing some things in my heart. He's doing them in yours. Do you see Him? Are you aware of Him? And there is also a future. A future for each one of us that is secure. Heaven is our home. God is in control. This is the story of our faith. This is the story of events. Not of another person's life, but of my own life. Each one of us have that. And if someone came to you and said, hey, listen, tell me about your faith, could you do it? Could you share with them that story of your past without Christ, your present with Him, and your future that is secure in Jesus? This is amazing. He was not talking to pastors here. He was not talking to theologians. He was talking to those who were followers of Jesus. Each one of us have this story. You don't have to be an expert. I I talk to people about this sometimes. They say, well, I don't know what to say. I say, just tell your story. Just tell your story. Remember in John 9, the man who had been born blind that Jesus healed? And remember the spiritual heat shows up, the Pharisees show up on the scene? Something good took place. I better, we better get there and find out what's going on here. So they show up and they begin to investigate the whole incident. It was a miracle. Jesus had healed this man. And they begin to ask all these people around, how did this happen? The man who was born blind, he said, well, Jesus told me to put some mud on my eyes, go and wash it off. And when I did that, I could see. And they were perplexed. And they brought in his parents and began to inquire to them, how could this take place? What happened? He said, well, we don't know. We just know that our son, who was once blind, could now see. They bring this guy back one more time to say, what is going on? How did this happen? His reply in John 9, he says this, or it says this. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner, talking about Jesus. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. You know, don't ask me these deep theological questions. I'm not an expert in all this stuff. He says, one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. Now each one of you have that story. And that's a story 
that we can share to a lost and dying world. So we should know our own story of events. Secondly, we should define the mission fields of our life. Jesus describes in the Gospel of Matthew, He says, Open your eyes and see the fields. They are ripe for harvest. There's no lack of need in the world. There's still people who are hungry to know. Open your eyes and see. We should define the mission fields of our own individual lives. Meaning this, where are the places that God has you? You're not there by accident. You're not there just to earn a paycheck. That God has strategically placed you Maybe even for a season of time. Maybe it's not a permanent place, but for a season of time, God has placed you in this geographical region, region, in this sphere of influence, so that you can share your story of faith. Where are the places that He has put you? Who are the people God has placed in your life? Again, they're not there by accident. Who are the everyday people that you run into? Can you put the eyes of faith on to see them as God sees them. Not as a not as a scalp to get on your belt. I'm not talking about that. Not as an argument to win. As a person to love. And as a person to share your story of faith with. Everyday people. Right now I'm praying for two people. I'm praying for this girl at Starbucks. And uh, I'm praying for a friend, a neighbor of my son's. Specifically, notice the specificity that is here in this passage. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Defining specific mission fields in your life, in my life, where people reside who do not know Christ. They're there. They're there. And then the third thing. We should share our story to those in the world. It's not rocket science. The applications here are pretty simple. Jesus has given a clear mission to the church. He's given a clear mission to those of us who are believers. At the end of the day... The following of Christ results in sharing the gospel with other people. Every church should be about that. At the heart of our church should be the mission to reach those in our community who do not know Christ as Savior. And folks, they're all over the place. God has allowed me to see in a different way than I have. You get so busy doing church and working church. You get so busy doing ministry, you forget about doing ministry. (laughs) And so here, in our backyard, in our church's backyard, there are people. I'm just driving through the neighborhood, and I see people, and I ponder them, and I look at them, and I say, I wonder what their story is. I wonder what their life is like. And I wonder how we can make a difference for them and toward them. That's the calling that we have. So who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? 
How do you see people in your world? And are you willing to go? Are you willing to go and willing to share? That's our challenge. That's what Jesus called us to do. We are in so many discussions and prayer about our future here at the brook and what God is providing for us in the next era to come. It's very appropriate that we had this missions testimony today as we think about going to the ends of the earth with these shoe boxes. What a great opportunity that is to remotely send a gift that communicates God's love. It's a great and wonderful thing. But we've got people right here also. And we're going to be pulling out the stops to some degree. Kind of a full court press, I guess. Evaluating what should be done, what shouldn't be done, so that we can be about this mission that God has for us. And to do it uniquely. To do it uniquely. To not say, come and hear. But instead to do what Jesus said in Matthew 28. To go and tell. You see the different orientation that is. It's eyes pointed outward. That's what God has for us. So I want to invite you to just pray with me over these next few weeks and as we move into a brand new year and a brand new opportunity, as we make some decisions, as we clarify what God is doing, it's going to be exciting to see that. Primarily, though, between now and then, I want you to do one thing. I want you to find one person that you can begin praying for. Don't even feel like you have to go right now. Don't even feel like you have to say anything. You will be amazed if you will begin to pray for one person. The opportunity is that God will provide for you. Ask God to work. Ask God to give you an opportunity to share your story of faith. And He will. He will. Choose that one person. Pray for them. Show love to them. And God's going to provide in some amazing, amazing ways. Let's do this. Let's pray together.